Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermons. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. So if you have your Bible this morning, can you please turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. I want to start this morning's message by uh, looking at a small yet incredible piece of prophetic history behind what you and I commonly refer to as the Christmas story. Now, if you can kind of understand this, that so often in life we we, uh, hear the stories, especially the Christmas story, and we just kind of take it at face value. But sometimes we need to, I guess, to understand the magnitude and the significance of it, it's good to hear the story behind the story. Amen? So to do so, what we're going to do is we're going to actually hit the rewind button, and we're going to look back to a prophecy that was given almost 600 years before Jesus was born, and then we're going to fast forward all the way to the fulfillment of that prophecy, which is found in Matthew chapter 2. So let's hop in here. Uh, Simply this, according to history, in the year 586 B.C., uh, this was, once again, long before Jesus was ever born, uh, this nation called Babylon successfully overwhelmed and conquered the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Now, the powerful Babylonian king, which most of us know as King Nebuchadnezzar, he did what most conquerors did in that day, and that was this, as he completely destroyed the city walls of Jerusalem, he looted the palaces and the holy places, he tortured the men who stood up against him, and then he set up a new government so that all the power and all the authority would be transferred over to him. But one thing that Nebuchadnezzar did that was so different than any king of the day, because typically any conquering king did those things we just mentioned, but what set this guy apart was this, is that he actually recognized the power of education, and more specifically, he recognized the power of educated men. And so what he would do is actually when he would conquer a nation, he would carefully select the most promising people from that nation, and he would relocate them to the Babylonian city, and what he would do... Or Babylonian capital, excuse me. And, and then what he would do is he would put them in a school or a university-like environment. And his purpose was this, in selecting all these brilliant people, is he was trying his best to gather knowledge from uh, astronomy and astrology, science and metaphysics, philosophy and even religion, because his goal was is that he thought if he could find some credible source of information, if he could find you know any little thing that would give him a leg up that would help him, that would give him uh, advice or benefit him as a king, he would take it. Now, I don't know about you, but I actually think that's pretty brilliant, right? So, now listen, biblical history tells us that when Nebuchadnezzar conquered Jerusalem, that the best and the brightest from Judah, um, Judah included a young man named Daniel. Now, after several uh, encounters with King Nebuchadnezzar, Debel, uh, Daniel, not devil, uh, Daniel became a favored wise man, a trusted advisor, and eventually a high-ranking official in the Babylonian government. Now, as most of us know, one of the things that set this guy named Daniel apart from all the other people in the land is because he had an incredible gift, and it was this. He was an accurate prophet. Amen? So much so that he actually uh, predicted, and this is huge for where we're going, the rise and the fall of the next four major empires of the world. Now, here's where those prophecy, or one of those prophecies, collides with what you and I know as the Christmas story. And it's this. Among Daniel's prophecies, he declared this in Daniel chapter 9. 
He said that the, the, the Persian Empire would eventually overtake Babylon and that the new Persian king would grant the nation of Judah, watch this, permission to rebuild the walls that Nebuchadnezzar destroyed. And now here's where it gets interesting. Daniel prophesied not only would the, those walls be, would be rebuilt, but he prophesied that literally that the day that permission was granted for those walls to be rebuilt, that the Messiah would appear 483 years later. That's incredible. Now listen, as you can expect, this prophecy, once again, he was an accurate fella. Uh, this prophecy unfolded just like he said. The Persians came in, they defeated the Babylonian Empire, and right on schedule in Nehemiah chapter 2, literally on March the 5th, 444 B.C., Nehemiah was, went before the king and he asked permission right from the king, and he was granted permission by the Persian king to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And when that happened, literally the prophetic clock, the messianic countdown began. Now, let's fast forward. Theologians believe that that school of wise men, which Daniel was a member of, through all those years, what they did is they took great care to uh, write down or to chart for future generations the heavens and the stars. So their hope was is that by doing so that they could determine the future by the constellations. Now, way above my pay grade, theologians say this, that somehow those charts of the stars were tied to what Daniel saw prophetically concerning the coming Messiah. Once again, the story behind the story. Fast forward again, 483 years later, Matthew chapter 2 records that a group of these magi or these group of wise men from the east who were actually uh, remnants of the old Babylonian and Persian schools of wise men who had access to all those charts, what these guys were doing, they were intensely looking for and they, were, and they ultimately saw what they knew to be called his star. Right? Like they knew that, right? They saw it in the sky. It was this unexplainable supernatural phenomenon which they interpreted as a sign. Now, the Bible never tells us as, you know, in spite of what we've been told throughout the years, the Bible never tells us how many wise men there were, right? But, but after these magi, after these pre-sages, these uh, students of science, these Eastern astrologers, these really wealthy men that were royalty, truthfully, after they witnessed this sign, they decided to set out on an expedition and following the star to find the great king of the Jews, Watch this. In doing so, they actually fulfilled a prophecy that's found in Isaiah chapter 60. Isaiah prophesied this in verse 3. He said that the Gentiles, that was those guys, that they shall come to your light and kings, which they were, to the brightness of your rising. That's such a cool verse. Now, watch this. This coming may sound like uh, not a whole lot to a lot of people, truthfully. Uh, but I think when we stop and we realize that history actually says that these men traveled without a car, without an airplane, but they traveled more than 750 miles across the Arabian desert following the star, I, I think that's pretty cool, right? Now listen, it said that their journey didn't, you know, maybe took a few months. Uh, and some theologians believe that maybe not only a few months, but it might have took a few years. And I would say that's where I land in this because of what we're about to read. So with all that background... Hopefully you found Matthew chapter 2 by now. Okay, let's pick up the story in verse 1. Y'all hang with me. Uh, I'm going to give you a few things and then we'll give you a spiritual law that I think you can put in your pocket and walk out of here today and apply. Here we go, Matthew chapter 2 verse 1. 
It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, a wise man or magi from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east, and we have come to worship him. If I can maybe pause there for a second, because I can't tell you truthfully how cool it is. I think here's this group of men, right? It's a group of men. Hear that, men, right? They're not Jews, which means that they haven't had some uh, idea of some Messiah shoved down their throat their entire life. But they're Jews who are extremely educated, extremely wealthy. Yet here they are that they've come to worship him. And the word worship there actually means this. We'll put it on the screen. But it means actually that they came to fall upon their knees and to touch their uh, the ground with their foreheads as an expression of profound reverence and adoration. Now, I don't know where your mind goes when you hear that, but my mind goes to this. Imagine uh, whatever some of the wealthiest people in the world literally uh, understand that there's a baby or a small child somewhere, and they start traveling to a great distance and going through a whole lot of trouble, right, to get to a spot just simply so they can bow down and show reverence and adoration. This is significant, guys. Right? So often we just blow by stuff, right? So let's pick it back up, verse 3. It says, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. It says, And all Jerusalem with him, and when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they, the priests and the scribes, they said to Herod, In Bethlehem of Judea, it says, For thus it was written by the prophet, and they go quote Micah 5.2, it says, But you... Bethlehem in the land of Judah are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then it says, Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, in other words, he had a private meeting with these guys, he determined from them what time the star appeared. And it says, And he sent them out to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. Notice it doesn't say baby, it says child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. How many of you guys know that Joker was lying? It says, When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east. So obviously, somehow, miraculously, this star reappeared, and it led them, or went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. And then it says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, not the manger, the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down upon their knees and touched the ground with their foreheads as an expression of profound reverence and adoration and worshipped him. Amen? All right, so let's settle in here a bit. I'm not just do a whole bunch of information at you. But, but listen, when I uh, read this portion of Scripture, uh, the thing that always jumps off the page to me is this, is the three different responses that we find in those 12 verses. Uh, it's about to be 12, but the 11 we just read uh, of those verses of how people responded to the birth of Jesus, right? And I want to take a few minutes and I want to look at these. And truthfully, uh, I believe that more than likely... Every person in this room is going to be able to identify with all three of them at some point in your life. Um, but the goal is really to find out where you're at today. Okay? So the first response I want us to notice is this, is the response of Herod. If you can remember back in verse 3, it said, When Herod the king heard this, what was this? It was the, the news of the Messiah's birth. It says that he was, here's his response, that he was troubled. Can somebody say troubled? 
Now, the word troubled means this, that when he heard that news, he became agitated. He became stirred up, anxious, distressed. It means when he heard that news, that literally, that uh, it was like fear and dread struck him in his spirit. Now, why would a guy that's a king feel that way about a baby? Like, why in the world would he be troubled? The reason Herod was troubled is this, is because he knew in his heart of hearts that he was the illegitimate king of the Jews. You see, he wasn't a Jew, but because he was married to a Jewish woman, the Roman Empire thought it was a good idea to put him in a position to rule over them. So what happened was, is even though he had this authority and this power, you know, given him by the Roman Empire, in his heart for 30 years, he knew he sat on a stolen throne. Hope you're hearing this. Watch this. And, and actually, if you read about a story, we don't have time today, but he actually went insane in the process. Because why? Because it wasn't his, right? And so, so once again, this news of this baby made him troubled. So much so that he devised an evil plan where he appeared like he was trying to help the wise men. He's like, what? I'm going to gather these people because they can answer your question. Give me a minute. I'll get, I'll get them in here, right? But we all know that that wasn't his plan. That wasn't his purpose. He wasn't trying to help them. He was trying to help himself, right? And so what he did was he said, he said, what, let me get them in there. Let me hear what they're going to say, because truthfully, I got to figure out a way to eliminate and murder this kid, right? The real king of the Jews. Second response I want to notice is this. It's the response of the religious leaders. If the shoe fits here, wear this, okay? Remember in verse 4, it says this. It says, and when he, talking about Herod, had gathered all the chief priests and scribes, all the people together, he inquired of them, where the Christ was to be born. Now we know in response to that, they simply uh, told him that according to prophecy, once again, Micah 5, 2, that the baby, the Messiah, was to be born in Bethlehem. Now here's my point. That's as far as they went. So much so that if, you know, we said Herod, he was troubled, that's the word, with these guys, religious leaders, the word I would use is this, is they were disinterested. Right? So much so that, I say this, that, that there's no record of them being eager or longing for his arrival. There's no record of them being excited about hearing the news or even this, even just going so far of asking the wise men, hey, can we join you on your journey? In fact, it would appear like these guys were so deep in their religion and so deep in their unbelief, so deep in pursuing right their rituals and traditions that they were literally unmoved, even in the slightest bit of way, to see if the prophecy might actually be fulfilled. In fact, if I could slap a verse on this to, to describe these guys, it would be Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13. It says this, the Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips. Remember, these are the religious leaders, right? They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And it says this, their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. Like how many people come to church and that's why they do what they do. It's based on merely human rules of what they have been taught. Yeah? Listen, I personally believe this shows how it is possible for a person to know the scriptures in an intellectual way, yet be literally unmoved by them in their own heart. Like they can read this book again and again and again, and it never stirs anything. It's just an obtaining of knowledge. Right? Now, I have to be honest with you today. I am kind of fearful that uh, this may be the condition of many in the body of Christ when it comes to the second coming. Like, man, we need to wake up, right? 
Now, listen, before we move on to our final response, let me share a thought with you. Uh, as I was preparing today, please hear this. I couldn't help but to compare Herod's response to the religious leader's response, right? Like, like how can you not compare the two? And, and when I did, the thought came to my mind was this, or the thought that came to my mind was this, is that it is a sad day when the Herods of this world are moved to action or are more concerned about Jesus than those who say that they love him. Guys, we are there. We are there today if we realize or not. And here's, here's why I say this without going into loads of details. There, there's people in our country that hate Jesus, right? They hate him. You know, we whine and cry and act like they hate us. No, they hated him before they hate us, right? That's the motive. And so if we realize it right, right now or not that literally these people are hating him and they have plans coming up. Right, If things go their way in the near future that are going to penalize us. And I just say right now to you guys, man, are, are we going to let them uh, you know, care more about that? Or are we going to care more about our freedom of worship and actually pray and believe God that he's going to move in his power on the behalf of his people and his kingdom? Am I making sense to anybody today? So, guys, we can't, we can't let them care more than us. We have to fight. We have to pray. We have to believe Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right, so lastly, the third response, and this is the one that I hope every one of us will emulate, okay? And it's the response of who? The wise men. Let's look back to verse 10 and 11. We are going somewhere. Hang with me. It says, When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house... When they had come into the house, I love this, y'all, because this tells me that these men uh, were actually willing to travel over 750 miles. Watch this, because they weren't satisfied with the sign, but they had to see him face to face. Like, man, I don't know about you. Like, I love my Bible, and, man, I, there's, it's rich and all that. But, man, there's got to be a time where, man, I want a face-to-face -face encounter with the living God. I want to know that his presence was in the place. Amen. Yes, and so it may, and it's about time we get to the place where it's like, man, we're not satisfied with the distant view of Jesus, but man, we got to get up close and personal, amen? And then it says this, says that they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down. Can somebody say fell down? So they fell down and worshiped him. Now, once again, it's easy to read the Bible and go, I've read that story a hundred times and breeze right on through it. But man, there's a key when it comes to how these guys responded in those two words, fell down. Because the word fell down, actually in the Greek language, it means this. And this is our word for them. So our word for Herod is troubled. Our word for religious leaders are disinterested. What's our word for the wise men? The word fell down means this, an action that expresses honor. Honor. So the word we would use for them is what? Is they responded to Jesus in honor. In other words, in this crazy thing from 750 miles away, not their culture, not all those things, but yet they still valued him. They viewed him with great admiration, great appreciation. They esteemed him. They respected him. They reverenced him. In other words, they were in awe of him. And the question there to kind of connect to today is, man, when's the last time we were in awe of him? Amen. So, you see, listen, I actually believe it's because these guys uh, honored, because they had an honor for Jesus, they actually chose to do what we continue to read in verse 11. It says this, and it continues. It says, and when they had opened their treasures, 
Come on, I want you to remember for a second on that. Open their treasures. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21. He said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So I don't think it's stretching it too far to say because of their honor for him, they opened up their heart and they presented gifts to him of what? Of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They didn't give him cheap junk. They gave him their best. Amen? So listen, I'm sure most of us know, because most of us here have been in church for a while, that uh, these three gifts held great significance. And the reason is, is because they spoke to some particular aspect of Jesus' identity or his purpose. For example, we're going to run through them quickly. Gold. It was a gift for a king. It also represented deity. In other words, that he was God, Right? Which indicates that these men recognized that this child that they were traveling so far to see, that he was the son of God and he was the king of kings whom they bowed down and worshipped. What was the next gift? It was frankincense. I love this one. It was a gift for a priest. Now the gift of frankincense was the part of that specific compound perfume that was used in the tabernacle worship and it represented this it represented the rare richness and fragrance of the presence of the lord and once again what this means is that these wise men knew that this child in whose presence they knelt was indeed the very fragrance of heaven amen the next one what was the gift of myrrh right it, it was a gift for one who was to die right and we know that Jesus is the only person that was ever born to die. And they were, in essence, uh, prophesying or coming to agreement, if you will, with what his purpose was for the whole human race. And so this gift of myrrh, it represented suffering, right? If you stop for a minute and you look at what, what's the a difference between us and, say, the Jewish people today, it's because we understand that the Messiah had to come and suffer and to die. We know Isaiah 53, where they have this uh, messianic misconception that it's hard for them to understand that their Messiah that's going to come and rule would suffer. But it's a different kingdom. Amen? Amen. Amen. So as you can see, it's with these gifts, we'll throw up the next slide, that the wise men were doing this. They were acknowledging that Jesus is the true king. He is the perfect high priest. And in the end, he is the great savior of all men. Look, and I believe it was because they knew those things. How they knew, I don't know, but obviously they did. I can just say this, that man, because they knew those things and probably a whole lot more, they responded to his birth by honoring him. All right. So I said all of that so we could get here. Okay, I know that was a lot. But I actually want to point out today a spiritual law that is tucked away in the story that is actually in operation in our lives every day if we realize it or not. It's either working for us or it's working against us. It, once again, if we know it or not. And my prayer is that today when we leave here we'll go, okay, I get it. Okay, and that you'll begin to work with the spiritual law. So let's read the last verse. Matthew 2, verse 12, we're going to read it. You're going to go, I don't see it. Hang with me, okay? It says, then being divinely warned. This is the end of the story. They can present their gifts. It says, then being divinely warned in a dream that they, the wise men, should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. I'm an inquisitive fella, okay? So automatically I go, man, why would God do that for them? Like, why would he choose to protect these men? And I personally believe that the answer is found in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30. If you don't hear anything today, hear all these things I'm about to say, okay? 
So 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30, it says, But now the Lord says, Far be it from me, for those who honor me, I will honor. Spiritual law. For those who honor me, I will honor, and I will add them in return. Now, if you have a hard time believing this, Psalm 91, 14 to 15 says this. It echoes this truth. It says, because he has set his love upon me. Could we all agree today that those wise men came because they set their love on Jesus? Yes. It says this, therefore I will deliver them. In verse 15, I will be with them in trouble. Not only was Herod troubled, but he was troubled. Yes? And he was causing trouble. And he said, I will deliver them and I will what? Honor them. In short, here's what I believe, guys. I believe because these wise men chose to honor Jesus, they tapped into a spiritual law, and God in return chose to honor them or reward them, if you will, with his divine protection. Let me show you real quick ways how other spiritual laws take place that are connected with this, or should I say other things, other examples that are connected to the spiritual law. For example, have you ever been in a spot where you really lacked peace and things were maybe chaotic and you went and you actually prayed? Right? You read the Bible. You worshipped. What happens when you go do that? All that confusion lifts off you, right? And there's this incredible thing called the peace of God that comes to guard your heart and guard your mind in Christ Jesus. That is a spiritual law. Because why? Instead of focusing on the trouble, you chose to honor him, and in return, he honored you with peace. Let me give you another one. If you're in here and you have been a person that lived maybe for a while where you did not operate and give your tithe and your offerings, right? And you probably had some things in your life, whatever. But more than likely, if you shifted your heart and you said, okay, we're going to tithe and we're going to give offerings according to the word, according to Malachi chapter 3 and according to a whole bunch of other scriptures. Here, let me even give you one right here. It says in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, it says, honor the Lord with all your wealth, with the first fruit of all your crops and it says when you do that your vats will brim over and your barns will your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine so what he's saying is this is if you honor me with your finances guess what god honors you with provision am i making sense to you guys right why because there's a spiritual law in place if we honor him with our life in return he will honor us amen let me give you another one matthew 6 simply says this that if you go pray in the secret he'll reward you openly right let me give you another one. Hebrews eleven six says, For without faith it's possible to please God for those who come to him must first believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Might making sense. Let me give you one more. Psalm 18 says this. It says, With the faithful you show yourself faithful. With the blameless you prove yourself blameless. With the pure you show yourself pure. And with the crooked you show yourself astute. Can't argue with the Bible. It's a spiritual law. Amen? Now watch this. If that spiritual law is in place in the positive side, then it must mean the opposite is true as well. Look at Matthew chapter 13 with me, please. Before I go into this, I want you to know that it's, for all of us, it's easy to go here, okay? In our heart. In, in, in fact, I'll say this, that there's a good chance that you'll feel everything we're talking about all within a week. Of everything we've said. <laughs> So it says, when he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue. It says, so that they were astonished and said this, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty words? Get this, Jesus 
was baptized, went and did ministry. All the credible things happened. And he came home and they said, whoa, where did this guy get this wisdom and these mighty works? And watch this. In the middle of their woeness, they said, is this not the carpenter's son? Like, isn't that Joseph's boy? He says, it's not his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. Like, didn't we go to the same high school? Doesn't he live around the block? Right? And it says this. It says, and his sisters, are, are they not all with us? And it says, where then did this man get all these things? Watch this. So they were offended at him. It says, but Jesus said to them, grab a hold of this. A prophet is not without what? Honor, except in his own country and in his own house. Notice the next verse, verse 58. It says, now he did not do mighty, many mighty works there because of their what? Unbelief. Verse 58, once again, it says, notice it doesn't say Jesus didn't want to. It simply said that Jesus did not do many mighty works. And that actually means in the Greek language that he was not able to do many miracles beyond what? Beyond a few, healing a few head colds and sniffles. Cough. Now, if we can maybe wrap our head around this, think for a minute. Every city Jesus went to, the blind were healed, right? The deaf were healed, the lame were healed, the dead were raised. So what's the difference between those cities and this one? It's simply this. In all those cities where all those miracles happened, guess what? He was honored, right? But when he came to his own hometown, they dishonored him by treating him with no respect or little value that they literally, the word there is they lightly esteemed him. And here's why. It's because in their heart, they let Jesus become common and ordinary. Oh, once again, we grew up with that guy. Oh, we played soccer with that fella. Oh, we used to play kickball with him. Whatever, right? So listen, but watch this. In the words of the rest of what we find of what God said in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30. Let's read the complete verse. It says, far be it from me, for those who honor me, I will honor. Praise God for that. But watch this. Those who despise me or think little of me shall be lightly esteemed. And that's exactly what happened in his hometown. Am I making sense? If I can just maybe say this for a second... Um, I think for us that have been in the kingdom for a while, it's easy to let our hearts go there. Oh, we're just at church again, right? Oh, I'm just reading the Bible again. Another morning devotion, another prayer time. Oh, it's just another worship set. Ah, it's just another song, right? And what happens is is, um, a lot of times we need a new song to engage. We need something flashy to engage And the reason is because Jesus hasn't become enough, and so we've let our hearts become common with him. Am I making sense? It's easy to do, isn't it? Look, we've all been there, right? We've all been there. But but here's the thought that hit me this week. Is this, is who did their, talking about his hometown, who did their lack of honor really affect? Like, watch this. The Bible doesn't say that, because, uh, you know, his Aunt Pookie, you know, didn't honor him, that, you know, Jesus, you know, whatever, ran out of town crying and never did another thing. 
It didn't say he went to the corner and cried. It, you know, listen, it didn't say that it stopped him from being who he was, right? But, but, it, but it's simply this. It, it obviously, obviously 100% hurt them, right? And here's why. Because they withheld their honor. Jesus couldn't be who he desired to be for them, right? Clearly, if he did a few little things, he wanted to do more, right? In, in other words, it's because, they, because their dishonor, basically this, it stopped them from receiving, I'd say, the blessings and the riches of heaven that the man carried. Amen? So, so the question is, I guess maybe if I can just ask today, man, of wherever our heart is, man, what are we potentially missing out on? Like, like listen, as individuals, as a family unit, as a church, what are we missing out on? Because we're, we've treated him as common and we haven't honored him. Am I making sense? So, so the question we'll land this today is simply this, is man, how are we currently responding to Jesus? Like, how are you and how are I, how am I actually currently responding to Jesus? And, and I think, once again, to go through those three that we can all relate to in some way, but, man, are we currently troubled? Not the fact that we're agitated and angry with Jesus, not what I mean, but are we troubled by who he wants to be in our life? Right? Are we troubled by what he's trying to do in our life? Maybe something he's trying to change. Maybe something he's trying to get in our head. Maybe something he wants us to be or something to do. Are we troubled with that? Are we unsettled? Are we having a hard time with that? Are we having a hard time, maybe I'll say it this way, of surrendering, our, uh, surrendering the illegitimate throne that we are trying to hold on to called our heart and control our lives? Are we having a hard time to release that? Now, I just tell you today in the name of Jesus, he's the king of kings, not you. He's the one that died on the cross, right? The Bible, my Bible says that I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, right? But the life I now live, he lives. It's meaning this, that there's a throne that I was sitting on before I knew Jesus, trying to rule my own life. But the moment I said, God, I'm yours, I hopped off of that throne, and I took a cross, and he got off that cross, and he sat on that throne. Am I making sense, you guys? So listen, I don't mean to be... I don't mean to be uh, you know, whatever, crude. But listen, uh, in this kingdom, there's not, you know, uh, space for one of your butt cheeks and then uh, a little space for Jesus. Right? Like, look, it's his throne. He sits there, right? So get off of it. Amen? Amen. So are you currently troubled? Or secondly, are you currently disinterested in Jesus and the moving of his spirit? And how do I say this? Because somehow in your heart, you become like, man, those in the hometown of Jesus has become commonplace in your life. And I just ask today, man, do you still value, do you treasure, do you admire, do you adore the word? Can, are you still in the spot where you're like, God, if you don't speak, I'm not moving, right? Where you honor his voice, where you're still like in the spot, man, God, if I don't feel your presence, man, I'm not going anywhere, <laughs> right? That, man, I got to have his presence, Amen. Or thirdly, are we currently honoring him? And I hope the answer is yes for every one of us. That man, that our hearts are actually full of awe and full of wonder. That we are actually uh, reverencing him and admiring him and adoring him. That we value, once again, yes, his word. Yes, his presence. That our lives actually are full of what? Of a joyful submission and a joyful obedience. Amen? That literally that our attitude and our words and our actions really reflect a heart of worship. Like, where are we at today? I, I think some of us could say, man, I experienced all three this week, right? Once again, man, I've had those weeks. But, but I just think this, if there's, a, if there's a, a takeaway from today that I want you to grab a hold of and literally walk out the door with and hopefully apply it to your life, it's this thought, okay? That 
the amount of God's influence and the amount of God's impact of our lives or in our lives will be in direct proportion to our level of honor or dishonor we choose to walk in. I'll say that again. The amount of God's influence or impact basically in our lives will be in direct proportion to our level of honor or dishonor we choose to walk in. Why? Because there's a spiritual law that's irrefutable that says what? Those who honor me, I will honor. Those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. So the amount of peace we walk in, the amount of joy we walk in, we can keep on going down the list. All of those things are really determined by what? My level of honor? Or if I don't lack those things, it's because of my level of dishonor. It's Bible. Amen? Amen. Can I pray for you? Good, because I was going to anyways. <laughs> awesome. You guys rock. Father, I thank you for every person here today. Oh, Lord. Father, I simply ask, God, that if any of us are in the spot where we are uh, troubled or frustrated with what you're trying to do in our lives, because, Lord, we, we keep, as is said about Paul, that we keep kicking against the goads, that we keep trying to make something happen, that we keep wanting something different than what you're trying to do. Lord, I pray, God, that no longer will we be troubled, but, Lord, we would just simply come in agreement with you. God, when we just say to you today in this moment, Lord, whatever you want to do in our hearts, whatever you want to do in our lives, Lord, we say yes. God, will be who you've called us to be. Whatever you want to change, Lord, we say do it, please. And if we can say do it quickly, even better. And Lord, if we're sitting here today and we have somehow become disinterested in the things of you, God, that maybe at one time our hearts burned, uh, but the cares of life and the things of this world, or maybe we just... Man, just got used to being around you. Lord, if our hearts have begun to treat you, treat you as common, Lord, we just simply ask that you would forgive us. God, forgive us. Lord, we all go there from time to time. Would you please forgive us for setting our eyes on so many different things and trying to find value and worth from other things and trying to f uh, fill the void with so many other things. Lord, we pray today, God, that our hearts once again will be full of awe and wonder of who you are. God, that once again, we would see you for who you really are, that we would admire you, that we would adore you, that we would love you, that we'd be grateful for who you are in our lives. And so, Lord, whatever you want to do today in us, whatever you got to break off of us today, God, we say that we're willing. We're willing. Father, if we have been tired, God, in past seasons because we have done things, Lord, and help us understand it's a new season. Give us energy, give us life, give us focus, give us hope, give us, give us literally just your perspective for where we're at. Give us your vision for where we are at. Lord, we want to be a people that operates under the spiritual laws that you have set. But God, we want to operate them in a correct way. And so Lord, today we just simply ask God that you would help us to honor you. And Father, we're so grateful that you love us enough that you would honor us and reward us in return, God, with who you are in the riches of heaven. And so, Lord, we bless you today. We honor you. God, help us to put our focus on you where it needs to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.